Welcome to the Beltline Church of Christ podcast. We're so glad you found us. Please take a second and hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified of these weekly podcasts. Most of all, we hope this podcast will help you take your next step with Jesus. If you want to know more about us, you can visit us at www.beltlinechurchofchrist.org. Here's today's lesson. And today we're going to be looking at uh, specifically the death of John the Baptist, uh, the, the pre-runner, the one who came before, the one who was pointing us to Jesus. And we're going to look at uh, that day when he died. And I'll tell you, this is one of the most tragic passages of Scripture in all the Gospels. Uh, but it's not because of John's death. No, John's death, it's triumphant. John, John's death is, is, is wonderful, really. Uh, this, this one who served God passionately, who, who, who brought the name of Jesus to the ears of so many and who, who, were, who was preparing the way, John's death is triumphant. His, his boldness his, his life, it stands before us as, as an example. And Jesus even calls him this greatest person, the greatest one. Now, the tragedy that we're going to learn about today is in Herod Antipas, the king. He's the tragedy. What we should learn from this account is the danger of doubt. Now, it's, it's not to say that we mustn't ever doubt at all. As long as we're in the flesh, we're going to struggle with doubts, with fear, with sin, and with death. But we mustn't struggle with those as people with no hope. We must struggle with them valiantly. We must struggle with them in courage, with the courage of, of Christ, the courage that we see in John the Baptist as he faces his death here in Mark chapter 6. Starting in verse 17 is where we'll be, and, and we'll pick up and go uh, through this passage to verse 29. No, we're going to, to find a, a spiritual principle here that should empower us to deal correctly with doubt and, and, and then be able to use our doubt as something that helps us grow closer to God, not something to be ashamed of, not something that, that, that would uh, take us back from Jesus, but that would lead us closer to him. You know, in 1 Kings 18, when Elijah is standing before this crowd of people, he says, how much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. It says, but the people were completely silent. If the Lord is God, follow him. If, if Baal, if false gods, if, if the things that, that, that you've put your faith in are, are what you're more concerned about, make a choice. Make a decision. Quit wavering. If I was going to title this lesson something else, I would have called it spiritual vertigo. Spiritual vertigo. You ever felt that? Maybe on the treadmill uh, when you get on there, and, and I don't know if you've ever done this. Have you ever started the treadmill before you got on it, and you think, then I'll just step on it? Have you ever done that? I, I have, <laughs> and it doesn't work out very well. You know, you, you have this, this moment where you've got to catch yourself, and you've got to make sure you're, you're not going to fall down in, in front of everyone, of course. And, and so it's, it's better to get on the treadmill before you get it started, okay? So you don't experience vertigo. So you don't have this dizziness that comes over you. Read with me here in Mark 6. We're going to learn about spiritual vertigo in the life of Herod Antipas. Mark 6, verse 17. Herod, he had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. She had been his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. John had been telling Herod, it is against God's law for you to be married to your brother's wife. So Herodias, 
she bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless. For Herod respected John. Notice this this scripture, verse 20. Herod respected John. And knowing that John was a good and holy man, Herod protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so, he liked to listen to him. That, that greatly disturbed there, uh, that, uh, that phrase that's, that's translated in some places that he was puzzled, that's where we're talking about this vertigo. He was off balance when he listened to John preach. Even so, he liked to listen to him. Verse 21, Herodias' chance finally came, her, her moment of opportunity, right? The opportune time finally came on Herod's birthday. He gave a party for his high government officials, army officers, and the leading citizens of Galilee. And then his daughter, also named Herodias, she comes in and performs a dance that greatly pleased Herod and his guests. Ask me for anything you like, the king said to the girl, and I'll give it to you. He even vowed, I'll give you whatever you ask, up to half my kingdom. She went out and she asked her mother, what should I ask for? Her mother told her, ask for the head of John the Baptist. So the girl hurried back to the king and told him, I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray. Then the king deeply regretted. Then the king deeply regretted what he had said, but because of the vows he had made in front of his guests, he couldn't refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and bring it to him. The soldier beheaded John in the prison, brought his head on a tray, and gave it to the girl who took it to her mother. When John's disciples heard what had happened, they came to get his body, and they buried it in a tomb. Here's this moment. This moment of opportunity, I'd like for us to really focus on this morning, and then also make an application to consider our own moments of opportunity. First, I hope that we see that doubt is an opportunity. Doubt is an opportunity. Uh, Like we read in verse 20, Herod respected John. Herod knew that he was a good and holy man, so Herod protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed. He was off balance when he heard what John had to say. And we know what John had to say. We know what John preached every time. And and it disturbed him. And yet still he wanted to hear what he had to say because John had captured Herod's respect. You know, Herod, he spent about a year listening to and protecting and admiring John the Baptist. There's no doubt Herod heard the truth from John. John was doing what he did. He was preaching about Jesus. He was calling sin what it was, sin and wrong. In John chapter 1 and verse 29, we read about something that John said. It says that he saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am. For he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. What did John preach? Jesus. 
He, he reminded everyone. He told everyone, this is the one you've been waiting for. People would come to John the Baptist and say, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we've been waiting for? Are you the one that's going to redeem Israel? He'd say, no, there's one coming after me. And when Jesus shows up to be baptized, he says, there he is. There's the Lamb of God. John, he sets a great example for you and I. We should be pointing people to Jesus. We should be uh, telling people who the Lamb of God is, who the one Savior truly is, the one who can save us, the one who can redeem us. About Jesus, John said, he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. What a humble heart. What a humble heart John the Baptist had to, to, to remind people, to tell people, listen, you got to look to Jesus. He says, it's no longer me who you need to listen to the preaching of. You need to start listening to the preaching of Jesus, and you need to follow him. And still, even with hearing these things, his powerful sermons, Herod, can you imagine that? An audience of one, right? Can you imagine the preacher coming in and there just being one person? We can be pretty specific today, right? We're just going to... Tackle your situation, right? That's what John's doing with Herod all the time for about a year, maybe a little over a year. Here he is, he's preaching to him and he's teaching him. He's trying to show him, but Herod doesn't even get it. It intrigues him, but it does not change him. He's not converted, but can you imagine if he was? Can you just imagine what had happened if, if, if Herod Antipas had given his life to Jesus? If, if during this time, John's preaching had fallen on good soil, on, on, a, on a faithful heart that would uh, reject and, and walk away from the life that he had built, uh, on the, the way of life he had been living and, and turn to Christ. What an amazing story it would have been, but it wasn't to be because Herod did not allow his heart to be converted even after hearing one of the greatest preachers, certainly the second greatest preacher of all time preaching to him over and over again. See, doubt is an opportunity. Doubt gives you a chance to investigate. It gives you a chance to, to seek the truth. This man, he is the king of the Jews. He, he, could, he could easily go back and read the prophets. He could have it read to him. He, he could be reminded, I'm sure he was reminded, by John's preaching, what those prophets taught, the things that he was taught when he was small. It would have brought it to remembrance in his mind. Now, we need to, we need to seek truth. Remember that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. And, and as we listen to the Word of God, faith will either grow in our heart or it won't based on our decision, based on whether we allow faith to grow in our heart, whether or not we have, we've looked at Jesus and seen him as the most beautiful and the most wonderful thing in life. <clears throat> Doubt, it's an opportunity I think too often religious people see doubt as, as something negative. And really, that's just not biblical. It's not biblical for you to, to be upset with yourself when thoughts come through your mind of doubt, when you struggle with doubt at times. And I know that you do. We all do. We're in the flesh, and as long as we're in the flesh, we're going to struggle with it, okay? And it's not okay for us to deny it. What we need to do is, is bring it to the light. So you know what? I've struggled with this, and so I've, I've dove in even deeper, I want to listen even closer to what Jesus has to say. I want to, to understand, to know more so that those doubts, so that they can be alleviated through the knowledge of the Son of God. Mark 9 and verse 24. You remember that story? 
Father comes to Jesus, he wants him to help his son. His son's uh, being plagued with this demon and, it, and, and it's hurting him. It's even throwing him in a fire. And, and he, says, he says, Jesus, help my son, right? <clears throat> Jesus says, I, I will if you believe. Do you remember that? I will if you believe. But what did the father say? Mark 9, 24. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. He says, I, I want to believe, Jesus, I, I doubt. He was just honest with Jesus. He says, I, I really want to believe, Jesus. Help me to believe. Uh, help me to have stronger faith. Can you, can, you, can you help my son anyway? What did Jesus do? Did he tell that man, well, go, go, go on back home, and, and when, when you get stronger faith, when you have no doubts whatsoever, then come back and we can work on this again. Is that what Jesus did? Did he dismiss his request? Did he say, no, you don't have enough faith? Your faith isn't good enough? It's not, it's not strong enough? That's not what Jesus did. Jesus healed his son. Jesus healed his son. He didn't turn him away. Christians, we're going to struggle with that, but we need to recognize it as an opportunity, an opportunity to, to drive us even closer to Jesus, to listen even closer. In Jude, in verse 22, it says, you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. He says, show mercy to those who doubt. Show mer mercy to those who are Struggling with doubt. Well, what's Jesus going to do? Like he did with this man. He's going to show mercy to those who doubt. Struggle with your doubt. Wrestle with your doubt. And go to the source of truth to help you with your doubt. The only source that you have. The Holy Spirit. The, the sword of the Spirit. The Word of God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, he says, Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient, though, with everyone. We're to bear with one another's doubts. And we're to encourage one another to overcome those doubts. Jesus doesn't turn that father away. He doesn't turn you away when you struggle with doubts. Too often, I think, when we're, when we're filling ourselves up with religion rather than filling ourselves up with Christ, you know, we, we can't admit doubt because somehow that, that would say that we don't, have confidence. And somehow we think that, that not having confidence is going to strip us from our ability to be saved. That's because when we think of it that way, we're trying to do it ourselves, aren't we? We don't recognize that we're, we're saved by what Jesus has done, not the things that we're trying to do for Jesus. False faith, it says, I obey, therefore I am accepted. But biblical faith says, I am accepted because what Jesus has done, therefore I obey. If you're about to fall off a cliff, and you know that, that when you fall, it's so far down, you're, you're going to lose your life. There's no way to survive this fall, right? You're going to fall off this cliff, and, and you fall, but you glance as you fall, and you see a branch sticking out of the cliff. And now, here's the truth. The branch, it has the strength to hold you, okay? The branch, it's plenty strong enough to save your life, but you glance over at this branch, and in your mind, you think, wow, I hope that that branch can save me. But you don't know. You aren't sure, but it's your only hope. How certain do you have to be about the branch for it to save you? How certain do you have, 10%, 20%? How sure do you have to be in that branch that it can save you? Are you only 10% saved if that's, the only, if that's the faith you have in that branch? No, you're 100% saved. Because it's not your faith in the branch, okay? It's the branch that's going to save you. It's not your faith. It's Jesus. 
okay? It is Jesus that makes the difference. It's not the quality of your faith. It's Jesus, the object of your faith. Don't miss the fact that doubts, they are windows of opportunity. I want to encourage you to look at the object, look to the object of your faith, and hold on tight. Hold on tight even with doubts, even with the struggles that we face in this life, because doubt is an opportunity. Secondly, doubt clarifies my foundation. Doubt is a mirror that that shines back at me, that shows me what I really believe in. It reveals to me what's really going on back here in my mind. In Mark 6 and verse 21, Mark 6 and verse 21, Herodias' chance finally came on Herod's birthday. He says, her window of opportunity opened. Here, she has the chance to do what she's wanted to do. Here's this man in prison. He's been accusing her of being an adulteress, which she is. And he's been telling this to her her husband. He's been preaching this to him. And she sees that he has influence over her husband, who's the, the king, the tetrarch. And so she wants him dead. She doesn't want that voice in her life anymore. She doesn't want these, these things being said and this influence on, on her man any longer. And her window opens. You know, doubt, it's going to force you to look at real foundations in your life. In 1 Corinthians 3.11, we're told no one can lay any foundation other than the one which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the foundation of our lives. You know, John had this effect on Herod, this influence over Herod, because Herod's foundation was power. Herod's foundation was power. He was power hungry. When you look at the the Herods, all of them, this family of people after Herod the Great, uh, this is one of his sons. He has another, Philip, and and then the nephews that come along. And uh, eventually, uh, Herod Agrippa is the one who takes out uh, Herod Antipas and gets him sent off into isolation and eventually death. They didn't like each other. Why? Because they were all fighting for power. They were all trying to get ahead. They, they were going against each other and trying to become more than the other had been. They wanted to, to have some kind of a legacy set about their power and their strength. So John had a huge effect on Herod because Herod's foundation was power. And Herodias knew it, didn't she? And she was ready to take advantage of it when that moment of opportunity came. Power-hungry people think everyone is just seeking power also. And so Herod's fascinated by John. Here's this man who is not seeking power. You know, he, he looks at people and he thinks, Herod, Herod th- looks at people and he thinks, well, well, they're only doing good to gain more power. Or, or they're doing evil to gain more power because it's all about power to him. But here's John, and he's not gaining any power through the things he's saying. He's condemning a king to his face. He's facing certain death every single day, and yet he still continues to teach the truth. He still continues to say what is right, and it doesn't affect who John is, whether there's power or there's not. John, he has a foundation built on truth. John's identity was in serving God. In Matthew 11, 11, Jesus, speaking of John, says, I tell you the truth, of all who has ever lived, None is greater than John the Baptist, yet even the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Jesus himself says, this is the greatest man that's ever lived. And when you think about the great heroes of faith who'd come before John, that's saying a lot, isn't it? John, John the Baptist, the the greatest who has ever lived. Jesus says, look, this this is the best I've got. This is the one. 
This is the one who's, who's done it the best. <clears throat> in, um, in the great book, Out of Africa, Isaac Dennison, which was a pen name really for Karen Blixen, but she writes this as she's talking about an immigrant's notebook and a short piece uh, written in the notebook. And she speaks of pride, but we're going to call it spiritual self-esteem. And in our vernacular, and the way we use that word today, it fits better. Spiritual self-esteem when she says pride. She says pride or spiritual self-esteem is faith in the idea that God had when he made us. A spiritually self-esteem person is conscious of the idea and aspires to realize it, the idea that God had when he first made him. He does not strive towards happiness or comfort, which may be irrelevant to God's idea of him. His success is the idea of God successfully carried through, and he is in love with his destiny. As the good citizen finds his happiness in the fulfillment of his duty to the community, as does the the proud man find his happiness in the fulfillment of his fate. People who have no spiritual self-esteem are not aware of any idea of God in the making of them. And sometimes they make you doubt that there's ever been such an idea or else it has been lost and who will ever find it again. They have got to accept as success what others warrant to be so and take their happiness and even their own selves at the question of the day. They tremble with reason before their fate. The Holy Spirit says it like this. Don't live as if you don't have hope. Don't live as if you don't have hope. You have all the hope in the world in Jesus Christ. I think something special also that we notice about John the Baptist, he didn't see Christ after the resurrection. He didn't have that opportunity that came to to many other disciples, uh, many others who had put their faith in Jesus. He didn't see the death, the burial, and the resurrection. He, he He was dead before all that happened. And yet he still has this faith. He still has this confidence in what God is going to do through Jesus and what, what is going to be accomplished through him. And he gives him all of his identity to Jesus. Herod's crumbling foundation of human power, it couldn't compare to John's foundation of faith in God through Jesus Christ. Herod was experiencing spiritual vertigo because here is a man totally void of any need of acceptance. He doesn't need comfort He doesn't need control, and he doesn't need any power. John had no angle to profit from telling the truth. In fact, it was at the cost of his life. John's very existence was proof that Herod's worldview, that that Herod's foundation were corrupt and desolate. That's why he was so intrigued by him. He couldn't believe that here's a person the one who Jesus says the greatest person who's ever lived, he couldn't believe this guy didn't have an angle and that he would say such things to one who had power over his life. Whenever your understanding is challenged, you feel this vertigo, don't you? When your understanding of how things ought to be or, or what you think it ought to be like, when it is, when it is challenged, when something happens and makes you question, it's a wavering between two possibilities and it's part of our struggle in the flesh. In Galatians 5, 17, it says, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And these two forces, they're constantly fighting each other. You're not free to carry out your good intentions. 
I know your struggle. I know you're in the flesh, and I know you're going to continue to struggle with these things. But listen, there is more to live for than status and wealth and power. There's more to live for than even the good things that we enjoy in this life that sometimes we allow to get in the way of of seeing Jesus for who he truly is. Sin could be described or could be defined as building your identity on anything besides God. Building your identity on anything besides God. Sin. Because it's getting in the way of of you and your truest identity as the beloved of God. If you're faltering between two opinions, I want to encourage you, choose God. Choose his word. Listen carefully and and follow Jesus. He's going to lead you into righteousness. He's going to lead you into everlasting truth. Romans 15 and verse 13, he says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you'll overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Will you overflow with confident hope? Will you you be able to to give that hope to others because you know in whom you have believed? That That you have confidence that he will deliver, that he will see you through. He resurrected and you will resurrect you will live again. You will live in the presence of God for all eternity. <clears throat> Everything difficult indicates something more than your theory of life embraces. Doesn't it? Everything difficult indicates something more than your theory of life embraces. Is a quote by George MacDonald. Too often we seem to ask, how could God let this happen to me? Why would God allow me to go through this struggle? Why would God let this uh, bad thing happen to, to my loved one? Or, or why am I having to, to go through this, 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 this complaint that we have? How could God? And I think a, a single question could liberate us from that spiritual vertigo, from that, from that dizziness and from that misunderstanding. If God could allow his most committed servant, Jesus Christ, if he could allow him to suffer, For redemptive and wives' purposes, which at that time no one knew and no one understood. If if God could allow Jesus to suffer, why couldn't his less committed servants, you and me, why couldn't his less committed servants also suffer and there still be redemptive and wise purposes for us too? Redemptive and wise purposes that we don't understand as we go through this time? We need to step back And quit asking, why would God let this happen? We need to quit saying, why me? And we need to start saying, why not me? Because as I suffer, as I go through this, now I can reflect the glory of God. I can remind other people, no matter what you go through, nothing compares to the salvation you have in Christ. Nothing compares to what will be revealed when we pass through this life into life everlasting. How could God let this happen? Because God knows so much more than you know. And he's going to bring you to the place you need to be if you'll keep holding on. If you'll stay with him. Keep the faith. Doubt clarifies your foundation. Is your foundation on something other than Christ? Are you trying to build a life on something other than him? It's revealed very clearly in the fears that you have. Last this morning, when in doubt, act now. When in doubt, when you're, when you're facing spiritual vertigo, act now. Mark 16, uh, 6 and verse 16, it says, when Herod heard about Jesus, he said, John, the man I beheaded, he's come back from the dead? He says, wait a second, 
Is he back? He knows what he did to John, and he remembers the sermon. Those sermons are haunting Herod the rest of his life. He's haunted by the words that John said. And so here's, here's Jesus, and so he's, he's fascinated with Jesus now, right? But when Herodias' window of opportunity opened, Herod's closed forever. He was too fearful to allow doubt to be an opportunity. He was too comfortable to make any changes. Don't let fear control you. Don't, don't let fear keep you from recognizing what is right. Don't let uh, struggles in this life, uh, those doubts that you face, don't let it steal your opportunity from you. In 1 John chapter 4, the Holy Spirit tells us such love has no fear. Perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced perfect love. We love each other because he loved us First, each of us have a window of opportunity also. You don't have the power or the control over your heart that you think you have. Holy Spirit tells us that it's the most deceitful thing known. It's the most deceitful thing that God ever made. It's, it's your heart and mine. If there's something spiritual that you know you need to do and you continue to put it off, at some point, do you realize you're going to be incapable of doing it? Do you realize that the opportunity is going to pass? Do you realize that that, that thing that you should be doing, it, it's going to escape you just like Herod's opportunity escaped him? Because he didn't act on it. He, he didn't put it into practice. He didn't jump on that opportunity that you are refusing to jump on even now. The opportunity to follow Christ closer, the opportunity to be used by him in, in this world and, and to change it for the better. By the time Herod actually meets Jesus, there's no hope of change anymore. We read about it in Luke 23, verse 7. Pilate sent Jesus to Herod Antipas because Galilee was under Herod's jurisdiction. And Herod was excited to see Jesus. He, wanted, he hoped he would perform a miracle for him. He wanted to see a show, right? He couldn't even understand anymore. Jesus, he refers to Herod Antipas in Matthew eleven seven 7 as a reed shaken by the wind. <laughs> blowing back and forth between two opinions never being able to settle down never being able to say this is what is true this is where my foundation truly is and this is where I'll stand church you're going to become what you're becoming right now you're going to become whatever you're becoming right now what will you choose will your doubts lead to opportunity Will it clarify your true foundation? And is Jesus your real foundation? Are you standing on the rock of ages? Will you act now to make sure you are? To, to, to step up on the rock of truth that is Jesus and then live your rest of your life with him? John the Baptist had built an identity on God's plan for his life, nothing else. He did the right thing at the decisive moment. He did the right thing at the cost of his life. Herod, he couldn't even do the right thing at the, at the cost of losing, losing face at a dinner party. His life is a tragedy. Herod Antipas' life ends in tragedy because he didn't choose. How will your life end? How will your life end? Will you follow Christ? Will you take God's offer of grace? Will you walk away? I encourage you to take his grace, to accept his grace, to stand 
firmly on it, to grasp it with both hands, with all your heart, to embrace Christ and walk with him for the rest of your life. Thanks again for listening. If you are in North Alabama, we would love to have you visit and worship with us. Also, if this lesson blessed you today, don't forget to hit the share button and share this message with someone else. Hope you will join us again next week. As we close, here is our prayer for you. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Have a great week.